voice, the captain shouted as he staggered down the hatch. Help! We are lost! We are lost! Lost! <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> Indeed we are. Uh, you agree? Oh, it's all right, though. We're all in it together. What the hell, you know? Let's face it, uh, we're all in it together. Of course, uh, I think I think things will catch up with the reality eventually. I do. One of the major art forms today is the hoagie. And uh, you agree with that? And there's not many people mastered it either. You run into a really genuine hoagie, and you run into an almost truly realized sexual experience. True esoteric experience. Uh, you know, speaking of uh, of being lost, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know whether you remember this or not, Jerry, please. Do you remember this? A couple of weeks ago, I uh, came on the air, and just, uh, it hit me, uh, you know, like in the, out of the blue, it uh, just came whistling at me, that uh, I remember uh, just, just a phrase stuck in my mind, we are lost, the captain shouted. Do you hear me use that? Heard that, huh? Well, I think I explained at that occasion, on that note, that night, that the reason that I said this is this enigmatic remark was constantly used by my mother. She would be standing over the sink with her brillo pads at attention, you know, fighting the, the fight, when all of a sudden, without any warning, she would merely say, We are lost, the captain shouted as he staggered down the hatch. Well, as a kid, I say, "Hey, Ma, what is that?" And she never, never, she never said anything about where it came from or anything. And uh, it was just a great phrase. Well, I said it the other night on the air. I didn't even think it came from anything. Actually, just thought that was a phrase, you know. Well, what did I get in the mail a couple of days later from some uh, some uh, tough-minded type spy out there, written in ink? the actual piece of literature from which this was quoted. And this listener says, well, your mother was quoting a poem. That, that seems hard to believe. I, I don't ever recall my mother ever making any kind of literary references at all. If anything, there would be anti-literary reference. You may quote Bing Crosby, <laughs> you know, some other uh, major cultural god of the period. But, uh, but to quote uh, a poet, uh, it's very difficult to uh, conceive. But here it is. Do you want to hear the poem? Do you, want to, uh, do you like really bad poetry? Really, I'm so bad that, it's, uh, that uh, it, it has turned the corner of badness. You know, some things are so ugly. Some pieces of work are, you know, slob art. is so ugly that they become good just because they're so ugly. Do you agree with that? That's a, that's a concept of a certain type of art, the art of ugliness. Well, I, I suggest that there is a certain kind of poetry that is so bad that it becomes actually good. Have you ever... Have you ever well, well uh, you know, we can bring this into, into realms of sex and everything else, but we're not going to do that. I mean, but I've, I've seen girls that are so totally ugly that they become fantastically attractive. You've seen that, haven't you? You'll agree with that premise. Well, I want you to listen to this this uh, this, uh, this poem. Just a terrible poem. Would you please uh, give me the uh, proper music? This is the only thing that... And uh, incidentally, Arthur, 
repeat it over and over again. When it finishes, just set it back and let's hear it again. Eh? That's it. We were crowded in the cabin. Not a soul would dare to sleep. It was midnight on the waters, and a storm was on the deep. Ah, tis a fearful thing in winter to be shattered in the blast, and to hear the rattling trumpet thunder, Cut away the mast! So we shuddered there in silence, for the stoutest held his breath, while the hungry sea was roaring, and the breakers talked of death. And thus we sat in darkness, each one busy with his prayers. We are lost! The captain shouted as he staggered down the stairs. But his little daughter whispered as she took his icy hand, Isn't God upon the ocean just the same, Daddy, as upon the land? Then we kissed the little maiden, and we spoke in better cheer, and we anchored safe in harbor when the morn was shining clear. Yes, we kissed the little maiden, and we spoke in better cheer, and then at long last we anchored safe in harbor when the morn was shining clear. Isn't that a rotten poem? That's called The Battle of the Tempest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there it is. There's that famous praise. It's right there. Although, that isn't the way my mother quoted it. She would always holler, We are lost, the captain shouted as he staggered down the hatch. They don't have stairs and boats. It's obviously a non-sea captain type writing this, but the actual quotation is, We are lost, the captain shouted as he staggered down the stairs. <laughs> well, now, listen, one of my absolute favorite, uh, and, and I'm going to warn you now tonight, this is a slob poetry night. I mean, I have a real soft spot in my head for really bad poetry. And uh, one of my absolute all-time favorites of slob poetry. And uh, you cannot just read this poetry. It has to be performed. So uh, we will have to perform it just the way uh, it, it, it deserves to be performed. So are you already in there with that big, uh, that, that tremendous roaring? Yeah, that's the one. Now hold it at bay there. I'll give you the... I'll give you the cue for it, Art. Right, we've got to set the stage, all right? All ready? Now, I want you to turn out the lights and imagine, envision the scene. A Texas cowboy on a barroom floor had drunk so much that he just couldn't hold no more. So he fell asleep with a troubled brain to dream that he rode on the hell-bound train. Oh, the engine was murderous with blood and was damp and was brilliantly lit with a brimstone lamp. An imp for fuel <laughs> was shoveling bones while the furnace rang with a thousand groans. 
The boiler was filled with lager beer. And the devil himself was the engineer. The passengers were a motley crew. Church member, atheist, Gentile, and Jew. Rich man in broadcloth, beggars in rags. Handsome young ladies and withered old hags. Yellow and black men. Red, brown, and white. All chained together. God, what an awful sight. Yes, while the train rushed on at a fearful pace, the sulfurous fumes scorched their hands and face. Wider and wider, the country grew, and faster and faster, the engine flew. Louder and louder, the thunder crashed. And brighter and brighter, the lightning flashed. came till the clothes were burnt from each quivering frame. And out of the distance, there arose a yell. Ha ha! Ha ha! Said the devil. Ha ha! We're nearing hell! And oh, oh, how the passengers all shrieked with pain and begged the devil. They begged the devil to stop the train. But he capered about and danced with glee and laughed and joked at their misery. <laughs> My faithful friends, you have done your work. And the devil never can pay day shirt. It's my turn to work. You bullied the weak. You robbed the poor. The starving brother you've turned for the door. You've laid up gold. With a canker rust and given free vent <laughs> to your beastly lust, you've just as scorned and corruption sown and trampled the laws of nature down. <laughs> you have drunk, rioted, cheated, plundered, and lied. Yeah, mock God in your hellborn pride. You have paid full fare. You have paid full fare. And I'll carry you through. But it's only right now that you should have your due. <laughs> there we come. We're nearing hell. I'll land you safe in the lake of fire. Your flesh will waste in the flames of war. And my imps will torment you. My imps will torment you and torment you forevermore. <laughs> Oh, 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 Then the cowboy awoke. Oh, with an anguished cry. Oh, oh, my God. Oh. His clothes were wet with sweat and his hair was standing high. And then he got down on his knees and he prayed as he never prayed before until that hour to be saved from his sin and the demon's power. Oh, and his prayers and his vows were not in vain. For that cowboy, he never rode the hellbound train. Now, how do you like that, Art? Well, that's a lesson for you. That's the hellbound train. Did you notice what the boiler of that train was loaded with? Lager beer. There's a lesson to be learned in that. And you notice what the devil said? The devil said... Yeah, you've given free vent to your beastly lust. 
How many of you out there have done just that? That's right. You may be riding that hell-bound train with that great big boiler full of lager beer up in the front and trampling the laws of... Do you hear what the devil also said? You've trampled the laws of nature down. That means even you guys that run around throw pop bottles in the weeds. That's right. Never occurred to you, you may go to hell because of what you've done ecologically. The devil there makes that point. You have drunk, you have rioted, you have cheated, plundered, and lied. <laughs> yes, and you have mocked God with your hell-born pride. You have paid full fare, passengers, and I'll carry you through. For it's only right you should have your due. Why, the laborer always expects his hire, so I'll land you safe in the lake of fire. Your flesh will waste in the flames that roar, and my imps will torment you forevermore. Well, now that's enough to listen to at this hour tonight, ain't it? This is, <laughs> this is WOR in New York. <laughs> New York, right? Speaking of hellbound trains, uh, have you have you ever heard the expression "asleep at the switch"? You heard anybody say, "Old oh, Charlie was really asleep at the switch"? Well, do you know where that comes from? That comes from a genuine piece of poetry, an ancient piece of... Uh, in fact, it's, it's, a, it's, it's folk poetry. This is really stuff that's anonymous poetry that was written by anonymous people like in the early 19th century, about the time of, before the Civil War. And uh, would you please give me a little of that piano music there, Arthur, please? Yes, I think that's good. This is called Asleep at the Switch. The first thing that I remembered was my dog tugging away with the sleeve of my coat fast in his teeth, pulling as much as to say, come master, awake and attend to the switch. Lives now depend upon you. Think of the souls in the coming train and the graves you're sending them to. Think of the mother and the babe at her breast. Think of the father and son, them doomed every one to fall as it were by your very hand into the fathomless ditch. Murdered by one who should guide them from harm, who now lies asleep at the switch. I sprang up, amazed, scarce knew where I stood. Sleep had overmasked me so. Deep river dashing below, I could hear the forest leaves rustling as the trees by the tempest were fanned. But what was that noise in the distance that I could not understand? I heard it first indistinctly, like the rolling of some muffled drum. And then, nearer and nearer it came to me and made my very ears hum. What is this light that surrounds me and seems to set fire to my brain? What whistles that yelling so shrilly, oh God, I know it's the train. We have often stood facing some danger that seemed to take root to the place. So I stood with this demon before me, its heated breath scorching my face. It was the train, its headlight made day of the darkness and glared like the eyes of some witch. The train was almost upon me before I remembered the switch. I sprang to it, seizing it wildly, the train dashing fast on the track. The switch resisted my efforts. Some devil seemed to hold it back. I swooned to the earth the next moment and knew nothing after the crash. On, on came the fiery monster and shot by my face like a flash. How long I lay there unconscious were impossible for me to tell. For then I heard the piteous moaning, the piteous moaning and shrieking of husbands and wives. And I thought of the day... We all shrunk from when I must account for their lives. Mothers rushed by like maniacs with eyes staring and wild. Fathers rushed by. 
losing their courage gave way to their grief like children, children searching for parents. I noticed as by me they sped and lips that could form naught, but mama were calling for one perhaps dead. My mind was made up in a second. The river should hide me away. When under the still burning rafters, I suddenly noticed there lay a small white hand, the owner doubtless an object of love to one whom her loss would drive frantic, though she guarded him now from above. I tenderly lifted the rafters and quickly laid them aside. How little she thought of her journey when she left for this long, fateful ride. I lifted the last log of her, and while searching for some spark of life, turned her little face up to the starlight and recognized it was Maggie, my wife. Oh, Lloyd, thy scourge is a hard one. At a blow, thou hast shattered my pride. Yes, and now the fingers of the hell-bound evil train itself is pointing in scorn. And I know now, as I lay tossing and turning in my bed of pain, that I had been asleep at the switch, and my life was o'er and o'er again. How do you like that? Hold it there. I, you see what that was about? It was about a switchman. Asleep at the switch. All right. Listen, you want to hear a really good one? You like these? Here's a classic, a genuine classic. In fact, this one has been set to music by various folk singers, but it originated as a piece of folk poetry. Now, what is folk poetry? You know, it's a, it, 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 folk poetry uh, is, a, is a, you know, everybody knows about folk songs. They talk a lot about that stuff, and, and uh, people sing it and so on. But folk poetry is another kind of folk literature. And back in the early 20th century, when newspapers were the only way people could uh, keep in touch with the world around them, there were traveling guys that would work in papers, and uh, they were just, you know, uh, traveling boomer paper writers, the guys that would work at a paper for a month and then move on, work in another paper. And uh, these guys often would write poetry as fill in their papers. And this stuff had no name attached to it. Some guy would write a piece of poetry, and there it would be, and it would go out into the world. And before long, people would be carrying it around in their, in their pockets, this piece of poetry, until eventually it became so ingrained in the society that nobody even remembered where it came from or what it was uh, originally about. It was just part of the language. Uh, and some guy wrote this thing some afternoon, probably drunken, while he's sitting at his desk in the middle of a hot afternoon in a place like Missoula, Missouri, and uh, turning, <laughs> turning out a paper, and he knocked it off. Now, for example, one of the great examples of, of folk poetry, great classic example, uh, was written by a sports writer who never wrote anything else that uh, anyone has ever heard of. He just wrote this thing one day as a column in his, in his, in his sports column. This was back in the 1800s. Uh, around about the turn of the century, he wrote this uh, column, and it was about uh, an event that had happened that day. Instead of writing it in the conventional form, like uh, today the uh, Jets lost uh, 36 to 7, or the, the Mets won uh, 4 to 3, or something like that, he wrote it in the form of a poem, a very sardonic poet. 
And that was Casey at the bat. Did you know that's how that came about? <laughs> and, of course, that became so popular that uh, hardly anybody could... I bet there's not, not more than uh, two or three people out there tonight can tell me the name of the guy that actually wrote Casey at the bat. I guess that's the name, that's, that's the name of the game in, in folk, uh, folk art, is that the name is really not important. It's just an integral part of the literature. But listen to this one. Here's another famous one. Uh, I think uh, I think a little. Uh, let's see what kind of music we can use in this one. Uh, would you? Would you? Uh, no, no. This is, is uh, maybe. Maybe you better just better hold that down there, and and uh, give me give me the same piece of music because this stuff kind of fits it. Uh, this is a famous classical piece of music about a character that no longer really exists in America. Apparently back around uh, the, the turn of the century and just before when the railroads became very important in this country. You know that so much of this folk poetry revolves around railroads? Stuff like, uh, oh, uh, well, the wreck of old 97, the Wabash Cannonball, the famous piece of poetry. Uh, who's the most famous engineer of all? Come on, who was it with his hand upon the throttle? That's right, Casey Jones. That's a classic example of, of folk poetry, and and a lot of this poetry came out of the of the of that great uh, mystique of the railroad of the period. And of course, what else did the railroad spawn? Well, it spawned the hobo, the bum, <laughs> and and the guy that was riding the rods all over the country. Which we don't, you know, this is a practically a past and gone thing. But back around the turn of the century, apparently, it was a big deal that guys did do this for for years and just hoboed around. And a lot of poetry is about guys like that, about hobos, about trains, about uh, cowboys uh, dying on a street in Laredo. That's another interesting piece of poetry, uh, folk poetry, the death of the cowboy on the street in Laredo. But uh, here's one about a bum, a hobo. He's not a bum, really. He's a hobo. It's a classic. And, uh, yes, it's been, it's been used. No, no, uh, the, the, the music, you know, the piano. It's been used, it's been used uh, as the basis of even some of the fables that have been put to folk music. It's the Ballad of Toledo Slim. Did you ever hear of Toledo Slim? Great character. We were seated in a pool room on a cold December day, telling jokes and funny stories just to pass the time away, you know, when the door was slowly opened and a form walked softly in. All the boys soon stopped their kidding when they saw it was Toledo Slim. But a different man was he, and they hardly knew the guy. He no longer wore the glad rags he had worn in days gone by, he took a look around him as he crept into the place, and we saw a look of hunger on his dirty, grimy face. Hello, Slim, old pal, said Boston Red. You're looking on the pork. Why, you used to be the swellest guy of any in old New York. Come on, Slim, what happened? That you're on the bum. The crowd then gathered around him, and the story Slim begun. Yeah, tis true I'm on the bum, boys. I'm on the hog for sure. But in the past, I let them all. My role was always there. I never turned an old pal down, right? I spent my money free, and all the sports along the line were glad to stick with me. Oh, you bet. I was an all-around hustler. I trimmed the birdies right. 
I never shied at any game when greenbacks were in sight, but one sad night I met my fate. I fell like many more. That's how I'm on the bum, boys. Played out, feeling sore. It happened just five years ago, if I remember right. I trimmed a sucker for a roll and felt almost out of sight. I took a stroll along the line, set up for all the boys. And just to pass the time away, I dropped in on Kid McCoy. And while I sat there drinking, getting on a mighty stool, a dead swell dame come into place and sat beside me. I asked her if she'd have a drink. She sweetly said she would. And as I gazed into her eyes, I thought I understood. Perhaps you'll think me fickle, pals, but it isn't any dream. For when it comes to peachy looks, that Tommy was the queen. We chewed the rag for quite a while. I shot the con for fair. And when it comes to spreading salve, you may gamble I was there, boys. I told her I would place her in a finely furnished flat. When the joint closed up that night, I had my girly pat. Well, next day we saw a parson and paid a month's rent down. And then she went hustling for work around the town. She'd up in the morning, go out and get the grub. While I lay in the downy bed, so humble and so snug. But if the day proved gloomy... Then in the house, we'd stop and just stay. We'd gather around the layout while I cooked the fragrant hop. When winter drew around at last and things were going fine, we had the swellest flat of any couple on the line. Well, one night I had a job to do, the richest home in town. I got my tools, started out with my pal, Jackie Brown. Well, we never thought we'd get a blow. The thing looked like a pipe with all the folks asleeping and not a soul in sight. Well, we put the goods in a sheet and started down the block. And just as luck would have it, we bumped into a cop. Well, we dropped the swag quick as a flash and started on the run. With the copper close behind us and shooting off his gun. We were running, man, running and on the lamb. We were as fleet as greyhounds. We were halfway down the street when a bullet hit me in the leg and I knew I was beat. The copper stopped the handcuff me while Jackie got away. And I never saw his face again for many and many a day. Well, boys... I know you'll guess the rest. They made short work of me. They sent me up the river to do my little five, my little V. But still, I didn't worry. I thought my gal would stick. I kept the flat going while I did my little trick in a slam. I never thought she'd turn me down in 40,000 years. But when I think of what come off, it almost brings the tears. At last, the long years passed away. And one bright summer day, I started back to old New York, happy and gay. But when I reached the little flat, I found my gal had flown. She ran away with Jackie. And left me all alone. While it was in, I took the booze. Forget the bitter curse, but the memory of that pretty face was always on my mind. So I searched the city over, but no trace of her I could find. I roamed the streets at leisure, seeking vainly for prey, looking for the man that ruined me and stole my girl away. I swore I'd have his life for the trick he done. So I searched the country, everywhere, knowing well my time would come. Well, one day I met a wise guy who knew my pal, full well. He said he was in Frisco, living mighty swell. The girl had died. The girl had died in Denver of consumption, so he said. <laughs> Where my former pal had left her starved from want of bread. Yep, heavy sums are won and lost by gamblers, young and old, intent on winning. Each one thinks he's going to make it. You know, it happened at a time, boys, when I didn't have a cent, not a red cent, so I beat my way to Frisco with my mind on vengeance bent. Well, one foggy day, on Market Street, I met him, sure as fate. He tried to get the drop on me, but was a moment late. I sent a bullet crashing into the traitor's brain, and then I made my getaway and glommed an eastbound train. 
all there is to tell, boys. I'm like the rest of the bums. Like the rest of the bums you see along the road. Lost my ambition. Don't care what becomes. And then, as Toledo Slim finished talking, from his hip he drew a gun. A loud report. A heavy fall. And Slim Jim's life was forever done. Thank you, Art. That was really nice. Thank you. Toledo Slim. Toledo Slim. Well, that's a... <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm reading these things out of a out of a out of a out of a very old yellow ancient book of uh, recitations that that are all one of the most famous ones of course is is one that was done as a big popular song later on a, a popular c and w song did you ever hear a song called the letter edged in black you ever hear this song what's going on in there big excitement jerry huh? well don't, don't worry about it if it keeps running you just leave it ring no problem to it so uh these these things uh i just wonder how much influence these things have had on writers later though uh they've had to, they had to. now now for example a classic story of toledo slim who was done in by a woman and his best pal his best pal they they, they <laughs> do you notice what toledo slim was doing in the first place Realize what he was. That his, his, the girl that he was living with was going out and bringing in the dough. Right. Well, I can tell you, she wasn't working at the dime store. And they were living in luxury. Obviously, they were doing, <laughs> doing pretty well. And, and uh, this, uh, this classic character has, has popped up in westerns and has been part of the, I suppose you can say, the mythology of America. And, and whoever wrote that, nobody knows. Uh, here, here's another one. Though. Wait, wait till I find this one. This is this is another great classic. Uh, just hang on here. Great classic. Here, here's the here's the classic one. Of course, Casey Jones is a classic uh, classic uh, piece of poetry. Do you, do you do you ever hear the actual uh, the actual lyrics of it of Casey Jones, the actual poem? Well, here's the way it sounds. It comes out like this. It says, "Come all you rounders, for I want you to hear the story of a brave engineer." Casey Jones was the rounder's name on a big eight-wheeler of a mighty fame. Caller called Casey about half-past four. He kissed his wife at the station door, climbed into the cab with the orders in his hand. He says, this is my trip to the Holy Land. Out of South Memphis Yard on the fly, heard the switchman say, you got a white eye. Well, the switchman knew by the engine moan that the man at the throttle was Casey Jones. Fireman says, Casey, you're running too fast. You're on that block board, the last station you passed. Casey says, I believe we'll make it through, for she steams a lot better than I ever knew. Round the curve and down the dump, two locomotives were bound to jump. Fireman hollered, Casey, it's just ahead. We might, we might jump, but make it, but we'll all be dead. Around the curve comes a passenger train. Casey blows the whistle, tells the fireman, ring the bell. Fireman jumps and says, goodbye. Casey Jones, you're bound to die. Well, Casey Jones was all right. He stuck to his duty day and night. They loved his whistle and his ring number three, and he come to Memphis on the old IC. A fireman goes down the depot track, begging his honey to take him back. She says, oranges on the table, peaches on the shelf. 
You're going to get tired sleeping by yourself. Mrs. Casey Jones was a-sitting on the bed. Telegram comes that Casey is dead. She says, children go to bed and hush your crying because you got another papa on the Frisco line. Headaches and heartaches and all kinds of pain. They ain't apart from a railroad train. Stories of brave men, noble and grand, belong to the life of a railroad man. <coughs> now that is the real Casey Jones. Probably never heard the lyrics like that, did you? Casey Jones put his hand to the throttle. Casey Jones with his orders in his hand. You want to hear how it sings? Let's see. Because, let's see. Come all you rounders for I want to hear, for I want you to hear the story of a brave engineer. Casey Jones was the rounder's name on a big eight-wheeler out of mighty, out of mighty fame. Caller called Casey about half past four, kissed his wife at the station door, climbed to the cab with his orders in his hand. He says, this is my trip to the Holy Land. You can hear how it sings. Now, uh, the if I can find it in here, I want to find uh, probably the most famous of all the pieces of folk poetry. And it actually made this man world famous when he wrote it. It's a piece of, piece of uh, folk poetry that uh, was not... Was, it was written by a guy who was an ex-hobo, <clears throat> as a matter of fact. And uh, his... His his travels around the country, so many of the writers of that period were guys that boomed around the country. I can name them. You know, I wish somebody would do a, a, a full-flight uh, Ph.D. thesis on writers of the 19th century who came out of, you might say, the travel, the on-the-move the on urge, which had to be part of the American psyche of that period. In other words... If Mark Twain had stayed his life in Hannibal, Missouri, would Mark Twain have ever written at all the way he wrote? That curious, nostalgic, strange, bitter quality. I doubt whether he would have written. I think Ambrose Bierce is another example. Uh, Bret Hart. All these guys were guys that left their home, traveled west, and moved around the country. They were, in, a, in, in effect, literate hobos. And one of the most interesting of them all, I thought, was Robert Service, who, who uh, was a bum, uh, moved up and down the West Coast. Uh, when there was a big gold strike, he left to, to try to make it big up in Alaska. And a couple of years later, still on the lam and totally unknown, he wrote the following classical lines. A bunch of the boys were hooping it up in the Malamute Saloon. The kid that handles... The music box was hitting a ragtime tune. And back at the bar in a solo game sat Dangerous Dan McGrew. And watching his luck was his lady love, the lady that's known as Lou. When out of the night, which was 50 below, and into the dim and the glare, there stumbled a miner, fresh from the creeks, dog dirty, and loaded for bear. He looked like a man with a foot in the grave and scarcely the strength of a louse. Yet he tilted a poke of dust on the bar, and he called for drinks for the house. There was none could place the stranger's face, although we searched ourselves for a clue. But we drank to his health, and the last to drink was dangerous Dan McGrew. You know, there's men that somehow just grip your eyes and hold them hard like a spell. And such was he, and he looked to me like a man who had lived in hell. 
with a face most hair and a dreary stare of a dog whose day is done. As he watered the green stuff in his glass, and the drops fell one by one, then I got to figuring who he was and wondering what he'd do. And I turned my head, and there watching him was a lady that's known as Lou. His eyes went rubbering around the room, and he seemed in a kind of daze, till at last that old piano fell in the way of his wandering gaze. <laughs> the ragtime kid was having a drink like he always was. There was no one else on the stool. So the stranger stumbles across the room and flops down there like a fool. In a buckskin shirt that was glazed with dirt, he sat, and I saw him sway. Then he clutched the keys with his taloned hands. My God, could that man play. Were you ever out in the great alone when the moon was awful clear and the icy mountains hemmed you in with a silence you most could hear with only the howl of a timber wolf and you clamped there in the cold, a half-dead thing in a stark dead world, clean mad for the muck called gold, while high overhead, green, yellow, and red, the northern light swept in bars? Well, then you've got a hunch what that music meant. Hunger and night and the stars. And the hunger, not of the belly kind that's banished with bacon and beans, but the gnawing hunger of a lonely man for a home and all that it means for a fireside far from the cares that are, four walls and a roof above, but crammed full of crozy, cozy joy and crowned with a woman's love. Ghastly, she looks through her rouge, the lady that's known as Lou. Then on a sudden the music changed so soft you could scarce hear but you felt that your life had been looted clean of all that it once held dear, that someone had stolen the woman you loved, that her love was a devil's lie, that your guts were gone and the best for you was to crawl away and die. It was the crowning cry of a heart's despair, and it thrilled you through and through. <laughs> I guess I'll make it a spread, Miser, said Dangerous Dan McGrew. The music almost died away, and then it burst like a pent-up flood. It seemed to say, repay, repay, and where eyes were blind with blood, the thought of an ancient wrong. Stung like a frozen rash, the lust awoke to kill, and then the music stopped with a crash. And the man talked. Boys, said he, you don't know me, none of you care a damn, but I want to state my words are true. That one of you is a hound of hell, and that one is Dan McGrew. Then I ducked my head, and the lights went out, and two guns blazed in the dark, and a woman screamed, and the lights went up, and two men lay, stiff and stark. Pitched on his head, pumped full of lead, was dangerous Dan McGrew while the man from the creeks lay clutched to the breast of the lady that's known as Lou. Well, these are the simple facts of the case. I guess I ought to know. They say that the stranger was crazed with hooch, and I'm not denying it so. I'm not as wise as the lawyer guys, but strictly between us two, the woman that kissed him and pinched his poke was the lady that's known as Lou. That's powerful stuff. Do you agree? Crazed with blood. His taloned hands clutched the keys. And he played like a man possessed. That piano. That was Dangerous Dan McGrew. The shooting of by Robert Service. <laughs> Great classical. I still think that isn't his best, though. I, I think uh, his best, really, was uh, quite possibly uh, the ballad of the of the black fox skin. It's a fantastic bit of, uh, bit of folk poetry. Uh, the cremation of Sam McGee was not bad either. But all these things... Uh, <laughs> uh, how much time you got, Jerry? I can't... Ten seconds. All right, good. I just want to make sure that I know. Because there's no way of knowing. 
Five seconds. We're counting it down. Three. There it comes. <laughs> I knew it'd come on. You know, uh, bring it up there. That's it. Bring it up, thing. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Skip. There you go. Now here's a nice piece of uh, folk poetry, which, by the way, has made one of the all-time great pieces of uh, New Orleans jazz, matter of fact, when it was put to music. Now, you'll meet a lot of guys who think they're mighty wise all because they know a thing or two. You'll find them every day, strolling up and down Broadway, tell them of the wonders they can do. Yeah, there's con men and there's boosters, there's card sharps and crapshooters. They congregate around the Metropole. They wear flashy ties and collars, but where'd they get their dollars? <laughs> if they'd lose that good old Ace down in the hole. Yes, yeah, some of them write to the old folks for coin. That is their ace in the hole. While others skip bells on the old tenderloin. That is their ace in the hole. Yep, the ace in the hole. <laughs> Drifters and drifters. Up and down old Broadway. And every one of them's got his old ace in the hole. That, uh, by the way, is another piece of folk... Written by a man named Al Wilson, who incidentally was a Broadway columnist around the 1880s. In case you're curious. Yes, life is but a game of cards, which each one has to learn. Each shuffles, cuts, and deals a pack, and each a trump doth turn. Some turn a high card at the top, while others turn a low. Some hold a card, a hand full of trumps, while others none can show. Life is a game of cards. You either get dealt a good hand or you don't. If you get dealt a bad one, you ain't gonna win. <laughs> yeah. 